where we have been going through throughout the gospel or throughout uh, the last couple years is this Gospel of Mark series where we've been taking an in-depth look into the life of Jesus Christ. And really, these have, this has been an interesting thing because in the Gospel of Mark, uh, Jesus has made some pretty interesting claims. And these one big claim that Jesus has made and that we'll look at this morning is that he is the son of man. And what does that even mean? What, what are we to do with that uh, in this context? Jesus has uh, left the garden of Gethsemane uh, where his, his disciples, remember his disciples were supposed to stay awake and they did not. And Jesus is praying to the Father. Jesus is really just in this point of anxiety and stress to where he just wants to, you know, he's at the end point of his life and, and it's just hard pressed on him. There's a lot of encouragement in that, that, that even if Jesus is feeling discouragement, anxiety, this emotive weight of the world on him, like you're in good company because Christ knows exactly what that's like. His disciples come. There's a mob of a militia that comes to Jesus because, uh, as we'll see, Jesus is kind of really in control of all of this, including his death. Uh, the religious establishment comes to Jesus. They have a mob, a militia with them that they are allotted by the Roman Empire. And things go wrong. If you were with us last week, Peter cuts off an ear. Naked boy goes streaking. They all left Jesus. I'm not making this up. Go read it for yourself. I ain't got time to get back into that anyway. Jesus is all alone, left there with the militia. And we pick it up to where now he is going to be put on trial. If you've ever been put on trial, you'll be able to understand what Jesus is going through. And this trial is a bit of what I guess we can call a tragic comedy where it's both hilarious and tragically sad at the same time. Isn't that what that's called, a tragic comedy? I'm looking at Carrie, I guess. We'll go with it. I just made it up. I, you know, as a preacher, you can just make up words and make up phrases and people go along with it. As long as I'm not making up stuff from the Bible, it's okay. So Mark chapter 14, let's move on before I start making up really weird stuff. Chapter 53, we're going we're gonna to read 20 verses, but I promise you, it'll take longer to read the verses than it will to explain it, all right? So just give me 15, 20 minutes. I know some of you back there are keeping time. You're already nodding your head no, but that's okay, Kim. And they led Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. So this is not a Cedar City summer day here, right? It's a cool spring evening. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. Here's that tragic comedy here. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore more false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about their testimony, it did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, notice this, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. 
and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him and as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards, that militia, received him with blows. Pick it right up here where Peter is. Notice he's off at a distance, and Peter was below in the courtyard. One of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, Hey, you also were, the Naz were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out of the gateway, and the rooster crowed, and the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, Hey, this man is one of them, but again he denied it. And after a little while, that bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed in a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. One more time, let's just pray over the reading of the Word of God in our time together this morning. Now, God, we, we, we love you. We thank you for your Word. It brings life. It, it is a light into our path. It illuminates the darkness around us. And so that's our prayer, that that Word of God that was just spoken would illuminate in the darkness around us. And may we all collectively be able to say as we leave this park this morning, how great, how glorious, and how sovereign is our King Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I just, I just have one thing that it's an observation from the text. Just one little point here. And that is that Jesus is, in, is sovereignly in control. When we say sovereign, we mean that he is in complete control. Now, when you hear that, right after you hear Jesus on trial, Jesus being deserted, uh, the guards beating him, the priests spitting on him, doesn't that seem like a contradictive statement? But if you'll just hang with me for just a moment, I'll show us, and I think what it would do for all of us is serve as some sort of uh, encouragement to us, those of us who, who are going through some mess this morning, who are finding ourselves fun, maybe in that spot of Jesus deserted, emotively like oppressed. What you're going to see from this text is that Jesus is sovereignly in control. Now let's, let's, let's tackle the easy things first. First, we see that Jesus is on trial. And I, I noted and alluded to you just for a second because I, I, I find it funny that these guys cannot get their testimony together. You would think that they've been trying to catch Jesus and capture him for some time now that they would all have their stories corroborated with one another. But here's what happens. Uh, uh, priest A comes up, and, and the Bible says they bore fest, uh, false testimony, and, and it didn't make sense with the other testimony. 
So you have one priest coming up saying, well, well, he did this and he did that. And the other priest said, no, I don't think that's how it happened. Actually, he did this and he did that. And then the next priest comes up and he says the same thing. Well, actually, I think you all are lying. Here's what he did and here's what we got to catch him on. It's, it's, it's a terrible trial. It's, it's the most bogus trial that we've ever seen. It's, it's what we would have called in today's terms fake news, right? It's bogus. They're just out to get me. And that's exactly what they're doing to Jesus. They're bearing false testimony, not because they're seeking after justice, but because they want to kill Jesus. It's simple. It's simple. They just want to kill Jesus. Even if you have these sleazy lawyers or these priests, sorry if you're a lawyer, I didn't mean to offend you, but if you, like, like they have these sleazy scumbags putting Jesus on trial, you would think that they would have their stuff together. You would think that they would say, well, let's call witnesses. And in a fair trial, that's what you do, at least here in America. America, we have fair, we're supposed to have fair trials. You would think that witness one would come up. Witness one comes up and says, you know what? Um, as a matter of fact, and this is totally uh, conjecture here, Barnabas comes up and he says, yeah, I know this guy. He, he, he looked at me in my blindness and said, your sins are forgiven and you are healed of your blindness. A priest comes up and he says, "Oh, I don't know about this. This is this doesn't really this doesn't really do justice to our uh, what we're trying to do here. So get him out of here." Witness two comes up. Witness two comes up and she says, "You know what? My son was dead, and Jesus came to my son and and, and said to my son, uh, you 'You're not allowed to be dead anymore. Get up.'" Pre Chief priest says, "Wait a minute. What's going on here? This does not cooperate with our plan here." Witness 3 comes up. Witness 3 says, hey, hey guys, nice to see you. Nice to meet you. My name is Lazarus. I don't remember, but I know I was dead for four days. But this Jesus was calling my name. And all of a sudden, I got up out of the tomb. And the chief priest says, all right, this is enough. Shut up with all this. And then lastly, and then lastly another one comes up and says, I was a paralytic. And Jesus took me by the hand. And he healed me of my diseases. And finally, the chief priest gets, and again, this is conjecture, but this is what a fair trial would have looked like. Now, why do I say, and how can I come to the conclusion that Jesus is sovereign in control, including in his trial? Because if Jesus wanted to stop this, Jesus could have been in control and caused a fair trial to take place, but that's not what Jesus needed to do. Why? Because Jesus knew what was ahead of him was the crucifixion. So Jesus is in complete control of what they're saying, how ridiculous and silly they look. And finally, the high priest comes up and he looks to the ultimate high priest and he says, who are you? And Jesus says to him this, these words, and I, and I just want to just kind of let this resonate in your soul. He says, I am and you will see the Son of Man coming up on the clouds of glory. Now, what did Jesus just say? It is what we would call this I am statement. In the Greek, it is the ego me or the ego me. It is where we find, if you know your Old Testament, you'll find this in, in Exodus when, when Moses is having a conversation with a bush. 
Not someone with the last name of a bush, but a bush that is on fire but not consumed. And he's telling them, I have heard the cry of my people. And, 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 I, and it's time for you to go to Pharaoh and tell them to let my people go. And what did Moses say? Well, who do I tell Moses or, or Pharaoh? Who am I going to tell Pharaoh send me? And the voice in the bush said, I am that I am. Jesus here making that same assertion. What is this? This is Jesus's yet another claim of his deity. Many secularists, many people wrestling with their faith, many people struggling with the idea of who this Jesus is. It's rather plain and simple because Jesus makes it. Well, Jesus doesn't really make it plain and simple. Well, then why did the chief priest immediately tear his robe off and scream blasphemy? The only way you are charged with blasphemy is if you claim deity. And Jesus says, I am God. He's asserting deity. He's not, I am a God. I am the God. And not, notice what he's about to do here. And he says, for the Son of Man. You will see the Son of Man on the clouds. This is an expression. The Son of Man is a description of Jesus as being referred to, anytime you see the Son of Man as being the unique, one-of-a-kind, uh, exact image of the Father. So yet again, it's just like Jesus, you know, just throwing out, launching out, like, here's who I am. It's plain and simple. Again, Jesus is like, you want to see the Father? You're looking at you. You see me. Jesus is asserting this claim of his deity, that he is God. And not only that, he's making a really interesting claim here. And you will see the Son of Man on the clouds. What is he saying here? you got to think back because Jesus is, this is the second time so far in Mark that Jesus makes this statement. you got to think back in the eschatological or the, or the end time or the end of the error in chapter 13 when Jesus said this same thing, that you will see the Son of Man on the clouds. He is directly quoting Daniel chapter 7 that when following a destructive event, you will see the Son of Man on the cloud of glory. Jesus is doing, don't miss this. This is not hard to understand. Jesus is saying, I am God and I will be vindicated and I will prove to you that in three days after you kill me, I will rise again. And not only that, that in the year 70 AD, the destruction of this temple that you are worshiping, that you have idolized, that you have made as sort of this market to where the marginalized people of society no longer have access to the presence of God. I'll destroy it too. And you will know then at that moment that I've been vindicated and everything that I've done, everything that I've said leading up to this point, there will be some of you jokers. And I don't know if some of these priests made it to heaven. But I know in the Acts account, there were some priests that were actually converted over to Christianity. I'd like to find that fellow in heaven. Like, I just wonder, like, bro, were you one of the ones who put Jesus on trial? He's like, yeah. And he told me that he would be vindicated, and then he was vindicated. 
He rose from the dead. How is all of this possible if not for a man who can foreshadow and prophesy all of these things if he were not God and if he were not sovereignly in control of his circumstances? Briefly, what happens to Peter? So glad you asked because I was getting to it. Calm down. Peter, like what happens to Peter? Pete, oh Pete, oh Pete. And what's wrong with this fellow? Brother man's like, I will be with you to the end. And he tries to prove himself a little bit. You know, we, 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 we hate on Peter. Like, why don't you cut the dude's ear off? Maybe he's got bad aim. We're not sure, thankfully, right? And so, and so maybe it's just like him, him showing Jesus this one last time. Listen, I'm with you. But Jesus rebukes him. And then Peter finds himself on the outskirts. And he's watching everything. And some little servant girl, all right? Notice the text didn't say some woman, all right? Like this, this is like probably some like little Nora, the most unintimidating child you'll ever meet in your life. Where is she? She got too hot, bless her heart. Like 12-year-old little Nora, like little bitty thing, like non-intimidating. Can you just, this is just what happens in my mind when I read the Bible. Could you imagine a little child coming up to you like, hey, you are with, and then you're so intimidated that you start denying, no, I don't know, I don't know who you're talking about. Wait, what, are you talking about me? you talking about me? No, you got the wrong, wrong fella. And then she comes back to him. She sees him again. Isn't that funny? Like she doesn't leave it alone, just like a woman. She doesn't leave it alone. That was a joke. Calm down, everybody. She doesn't leave it alone. And you know it's true, okay? So don't, don't judge me. I feel your judgment. Um, and so, so she doesn't leave it alone. And she goes back. She says, See, I, he's, you were one of those guys. You were the fella that was with Jesus the Nazarene. And he's like, I, I have no idea, no idea what you're talking about. Jesus, or Peter rather, at one point is next to Jesus in the garden. He's with Jesus when the militia comes to him. And in the very next moment, Peter is beyond in the outskirts, denying, I don't know who you're talking about. Now this text poses a question at the forefront of this. That when life is hard-pressed, when we feel like life is spiraling out of control, which Peter are you? Because we got several personalities going on here within just a very short amount of time. Are you Peter in the garden clinging to Jesus? Or are you Peter also in the garden trying to take things in your own hands? Or are you Peter right here on trial? at a distance, denying him. Because that's what happens when life just throws every hard ball at you. It poses the question that we have to wrestle with here is will you trust Jesus in this? Like, will you trust him? Peter is overtly not trusting in Jesus when things are going really terrible. Do you trust Jesus even when this situation, and let's, let's just be honest, this is a textbook situation of chaos. This is a textbook case of absolutely horrible 
trauma just taking the breath out of you, taking the wind out of your sails. And the question that's being posed to us this morning is, will you trust him? And we, we, we kind of, we can, if you could tease that out, like we all have two answers to that. Well, obviously, yes, I'll trust him. Or maybe you're here, maybe you're listening and you're saying, you know what? I don't trust him because I don't know him. Well, that's, that's how trust is built, right? You get to know him. And then at the end of the road, when you know Jesus, you know that he is for you, not against you. When you know Jesus, you know that he makes all things work together for my good. When you know Jesus, and so when you find these things, when you discover the character of Jesus and how he sees you as his beloved, there's not a doubt in my mind the answers are resounding, yes, I will trust him. Despite how life is looking pretty chaotic, despite my circumstances, despite how it seems like I'm myself on trial, I'm still going to trust him. And that's the question you have to wrestle with. And the answer to the question is, is well, how can I trust him? Well, you can, you, you can see how you can trust him. And here's why. And I go back to my, my opening point here is that Jesus is in control and he is sovereign he is the sovereign king of the universe he th- as Judas he was in control of him because he looked at him and said you're going to deny me in fact you're going to turn me over think about the mob he was in the control complete control even of that situation when Jesus steps up and says listen my kingdom is not of this world in fact if I wanted to take matters down the wrong road I would call down tens of thousands of angels and I'd wipe every one of you son of a guns out off the face of the planet but he didn't you know why he didn't because he was in control and the these sleazy lawyers these sleazy priests come to Jesus and they try to trip him up they can't corroborate their story because Jesus is even control of that and Jesus Christ with the cross before him goes towards the cross of Christ why he had predicted it it was the plan it was the plan all along from eternity's past This wasn't some brutal father God, you know, just saying, how can I make life miserable for Jesus? It was a part of the plan. And even Jesus is in control, even in his own death. You ever thought about that? When you read through the gospel of John chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus is talking about his death and he says, no one takes it from me. In fact, I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again, this charge I have received from my Father. It's a beautiful picture. There's this triuneness going on even in the crucifixion, the death, and the resurrection of Christ Jesus our Lord. If Jesus, and here's the question, if Jesus Christ is even in control of his own death, can we just can you just take encouragement in that? That even in the chaos of your own life, surely, if you are a believer in Christ, the sovereign king of all kings is in control of your situation, despite it may seem like that is at odds of what's going on right now. And I know some of you are going through some really hard things right now. Maybe with your health, we just, just 
everything going being just thrown at you. Just like at some point, like your, 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 your prayers are turning to God. Can you just toss me a bone? Because I just feel like I can't take any more. But, but my friend, listen and find encouragement in this text this morning that Jesus Christ is sovereign and he's sovereignly in control of your life, of your circumstances. And because of that, we take comfort and we can trust, trust God. We can trust Jesus. Two things happening here and I'm done. Jesus, his deity, he is God. He is not a God. He is making the claim of who he is. And he is setting the assertion that he will be vindicated. And if you belong to Christ, that is a promise for all of us. That because of his death, because of his resurrection, we will raise again in Christ. We ourselves, my friends, will be vindicated too. Every slanderous thing, every wrong word, every unjust thing that's been done to you, you will be vindicated if you are in Christ. That's incredible, incredible news. I leave you with this, this quote from the Prince of Preachers, not Matthew, I'm far from it, from Charles, wasn't that funny, Charles Spurgeon. He says this right here, and this is such an incredible thing for us. Hold on. Hold on to Christ's crown and His cross, for the victory will attend them still. Only be patient. For God, He is in no hurry. Wait and let Him have His time and the good work around you, and the work within you will prove to be successful after all. How can Charles Spurgeon say this? Because he knew that we who are a part of Christ Jesus will be vindicated. And if there's the call, it's it right there. Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Are you trusting in Christ, in His sovereign rule and reign? That whatever whirlwind of life that you have right now, Jesus is in control. Do you trust Him? Do you trust Him? Now, God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the Gospel. We thank You that, Lord, in it is the good news, the euangelion message, that the kingdom of God is here, that You have already been vindicated, You have risen from the dead. And when we die in You, we too rise with You, and we will be vindicated with You, Lord. Not because of our righteousness, not because of any good deed or good act that we've done, but because of the righteousness of Christ that's been imputed upon us, that's been clothed on us. We'll look to the Father, the Judge, and the Judge will look at us and only see Christ. He will not see our failures. He will not see any good thing we've even done. He sees Christ. That's the good news of the Gospel. And we rest in that this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.